Teachers are natural innovators, entertainers, and problem solvers. They dream of growing old into the profession, teaching their kids' kids. But sometimes, career goals shift or change, and that makes opportunities outside of the classroom seem intangible. Questioning, who am I if I'm not a teacher? I'm your host, Alexandra Simon. And I'm your co-host, Jody Scissors. This is The Great Teacher Resignation. Today, our guest is Eric Garcia. He is a certified financial planner, a behavioral financial advisor, and the co-host of the Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School podcast. Oh, and he's married to a teacher. Before we get started, we want to share results from a poll taken by our listeners about why they feel guilty leaving the classroom. Eric, yesterday I sent a poll out to our listeners seeing, you know, why they feel guilty leaving and about 70% of them said that they feel guilty leaving kids and coworkers. So the people, that's what they that's kind of like their number one. And 25% said they feel guilt leaving a steady income and another 6% said a pension. But I think that even though these numbers reflect their number one reason they feel guilty, it doesn't mean that they have a 1A or a 1B or perhaps, you know, steady income is a is a really close second. I still think it's an important topic that we should talk about and their their valid concerns about leaving education because if they are a close second that steady income or pension could could mean a lot. That's interesting. What's interesting about that is I think that when, when we talk about money, and I've done a lot of work over the past you know, 10 or 12 years collaborating with the family therapist. So I've learned, I came in as a financial advisor and then learned all this like counsely, touchy-feely therapy type techniques and just trying to understand people. And what I've learned is that we tend to relate to money the same way we relate to people in one way or another. And what's interesting is the majority of people, it's all relationship, right? The first part is they're, they're, they're lamenting or grieving, maybe broken or lost relationships, things that they've developed. And the second part, um, this relationship with money, like a steady income, which is comfortable. Relationships are comfortable. But what's interesting is they're both, the, the two main topics are more short-term where the pension is so long-term and less people are thinking about that long-term. So most people are thinking about the, the, the immediacy and not necessarily the, the long-term. That's Those are interesting results. Our listeners have expressed financial guilt related to career transition. And as you mentioned, we know that teaching does provide a stable income and then other benefits like retirement, you just mentioned, as well as healthcare. So we're wondering, talking to a financial advisor, What financial considerations should teachers take into account before leaving the classroom? And I guess, you know, you touched a little bit short-term and long-term. Yeah. Wow. That's a loaded question, man. This is awesome. Um, I would say this, I would start off with this personal finance is personal. Whenever I hear someone give financial advice that is, that is global, like, like this is the way it should be. I always cringe a little bit because it's not the way it should be forever. It's, it's every, everyone's situation is different. Are you the sole income earner for your household? Are you married? Do you have kids? Do you have debt? Do you have a husband or a wife that is working, making a lot of money? Like what, what's, <laughs> what's the rest of that, that profile of your financial profile look like? So it's really difficult to give like the silver bullet answer, but I will say this. Whenever we make a decision, whenever we put a motion 
in front of any decision, it our decisions tend to get a little bit messier and harder to make. And I, I'm going to put guilt in that kind of that category of of emotion. So what happens is as, as humans, we tend to before the logical part of our brain kicks in, right? We feel emotion like instantly. That's the first thing that happens. It, it served us well as humans. You know, we had to run from you know saber tooth tigers and and lions and stuff. So it served us well that flight or fight. But when we're making bigger decisions, if we don't engage you know, that logical thinking part of our brain, we're, we're going to tend to make bad decisions. So I would say if you're feeling guilt or any emotion, fear, you know, I, I tend to, to see the two main money making decisions. It's fear and greed. And you could throw guilt in there as well. I'm afraid, so I'm going to do this. Um, I'm, I'm greedy, so I'm going to take more risk. I'm guilty, so I feel shameful. And, and maybe you don't make a decision or you make a decision and just you know, feel terrible about it. So I would say if you have an emotion, emotions are largely unreliable, but they're typically telling us something. So I would say if you're making a decision about leaving the class or any career change is stop, consider it, and bring in a third-party person who, who is maybe maybe disinterested, who, who doesn't necessarily have any skin in the game and, and what decision you make, who could offer some, some insight, whether it's a financial person or a non-financial person, I think that's going to help maybe remove some of that emotion from the decision-making process. And if it's, if it's a money decision in terms of, let, let's say, let's say the situation is, I don't want to walk away from a steady income because I don't know what's going to happen on the next side. You know, it's, the teaching is a grind. And I don't know what what's on the next, what's on the other side. I would say this: if you have financial responsibilities that your income is providing for, don't have money saved, I would probably say you need to have a plan before you walk away. I, I get we want to be happy, and that's kind of that seems kind of like you know the, the the theme for the past few years. You only live once, you know. Take chances, invest in you, and I get that. I, I'm a big fan of that. I never want to be the person who tells someone not to follow their their dream. But the reality is you still have to, to pay bills. You know, I was, I was in a conversation with someone the other day, they didn't leave teaching, but kind of multiple different career changes. And I was in a conversation just recently and, and they finally said, I'm just tired of being broke. They left a good paying job. that was fairly steady. They weren't happy. They didn't like it. They wanted to do something that they wanted to do. And, and then after a few years, like I'm just tired of being broke. So guess where they're headed back to a, a job that maybe they're not happy with, but they need Whereas if the plan to exit was a little bit more um, intentional, maybe now they're pursuing what, what they enjoy. So, I, I, I mean, I would say that if you're feeling guilty, stop, pause. You don't have to make a decision on the spot and, and consider all the factors. Absolutely. I mean, that's just solid advice. And I agree. I mean, we talk about our journeys on this show and how they're so different and unique. And I think our financial positions are the same way. We have to take that into consideration. But you touched on something else that I'm really interested um, in maybe going a bit into. And that's like fear or greed, those other emotions that we haven't really tapped into. And I know when I was leaving teaching and I ended up uh, in the nonprofit world first, it was a safe space. Like I made a higher income than I did teaching, but I was still, you know, kind of seen in a similar field. But when I moved into management consulting and my pay increased, I remember someone actually said to me in my bio that I wrote, like former teacher turned project manager, they're like, oh, people are going to think that you sold out, that you, you know, you just left for, for money. And I was like, well, that is absolutely not true. I think the perception of 
you know, going from a lower income to like a higher income, there's a lot of perhaps, uh, I guess, guilt. I don't know if I want to say shame, but fear of, of how things are going to be perceived. And I'm imagining that you've worked with people who've been in that position, right? Where they either came into wealth or they, they changed careers and they've gone from making a higher income or a lower income. And, and what are those emotions like when you're working with your clients? I mean, there's like, there's always going to be haters out there. Like I, I, I deal with people, but I've, I've had to deal with those. When I look, when I started podcasting several years ago and some of the work that I was doing, a lot of advisors in the space were like, what are you doing? Is that leading to business? Why are you doing that? That's, that's crazy. That doesn't make sense. There's always going to be haters. If there's not, if there's, if there are people not calling into question what you're doing, then you probably need to stop and say, am, am I, am I, am I? doing it fully with everything that I have. Just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. But any decision you make, I think it needs to be values driven. And what I find is, particularly with money, and it could be with career changing, is people don't stop to figure out what's important to them until it's too late. People make decisions because it seems like a good decision in the moment. And maybe maybe there's like a, I'm not happy, so I'm going to make this decision. Well, why are you not happy? What would make you happy? You know, would you be happier doing this? Is it because of money? Is it because of the environment? Is it because of your coworkers? Like people don't stop long enough to say, hey, you know what? What's important to me is spending time with family, uh, making time for my health, having freedom to do what I want, you know, when I want on the weekends, working in, in you know, with charities or nonprofits, with, with, you know, your church or your synagogue or whatever it may be. People don't stop long enough to kind of uh, identify what those values are. And then once you do, it makes, a, makes it a whole lot easier to make decisions. And then when someone calls in to question your decision, you can stop and say, wait a minute, okay, no, I made this decision because this value is important to me. And, and I think that's a starting point. And that's kind of what we do in the financial planning process. And that's really what I learned from, from collaborating with family therapists is really understanding people's values. And that's what drove me to get the behavioral financial advisor designation is that I really want to understand why people make the decisions they do. How can... How can I help people make decisions that are more lasting? Well, why do you want to get out of debt? Why do you want to save more? Why do you want to do these things? I can identify those drivers, or if you've read any Simon Sinek, that why, what's that why, what's driving me? Then those decisions become easier to make, and it becomes easier to fend off the, the haters out there when they call into question. You know, the only people you should care what, what they think are the people that you have allowed into your inner circle to give advice and speak to you. Those, and I'm not saying you should always listen to them, but you should always stop and consider what they're saying. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. What I'm, I love, I love uh, um, proverbs and, and, and or just kind of these ancient wisdoms. And one of them is there's right there's wisdom in the counsel of many. So surrounding yourself with advisors, mentors, people who can speak wisdom into your life, whatever the whatever whether it's a money decision or a career decision, is is good. Listen to those people. Consider what they're doing. With what they're saying, and then ignore other people. Yeah, uh, something I want to loop back to is you know the fear topic, and when I reflect on my experience, it wasn't really the the salary that I feared leaving; it was the consistency. And a lot of my journey goes to roots of myself. Growing up, I was in a household had a lot of influx in income, so my parents had a lot of instability and a lot of stability. So it just kind of fluctuated because they were both entrepreneurs. And so when I became a teacher and I had that steady income, 
that was therapy to the the traumas I had as a child, having the instability of income. And so the stability was what I was scared to walk away from. I didn't want to feel the way I felt in those moments when my parents were having conflict in their relationship regarding money, because my husband and I hadn't, we hadn't had that experience yet. We were very consistent with, with our income. We were very consistent in, in the way we talked about money. And when I, when my husband and I started talking about it before I left, it was those conversations of, of making a plan before I just kind of stop. We have to have a solid plan to one, to help me emotionally. So I don't revert to those fears that I felt when I was my younger me, but also having a plan provided relief. This is achievable. We can do this. And luckily, you know, he has a a knack for numbers. He had, he taught me many ways to talk and think about money that I did not learn. And so that relief provided me the courage to take that next step. After I got over the point of relationships, it was like, okay, well, how do I walk away from the steadiness that I have experienced for over 13 years and to feel confident and comfortable with that? And I think that can relate to a lot of people that have financial trauma. You know, not everybody grows up in a steady household income. And I think that informs a lot of people's decision to stay in those steady positions because they don't want to feel the way that they felt in those moments of unsteadiness. Yeah, if they didn't like what they saw or like what they experienced. So there's a lot, there's a lot of really good stuff that you said there on two extremes. There's two types of clients that I work with. There's the clients who come to me who need a lot of help. Maybe they need help getting out of debt. They don't know how to invest their money. They've left several jobs and have a bunch of like 401ks that, that they need, that they need management on. Um, and then there's those people who come to me who I used to think that I wasn't helping them because there wasn't much I could do. They're making good decisions. Everything seems to be in order. I mean, there, there's some small changes we can make to their finances, but yet they lack confidence in what they're doing. And and I've since changed in my mind. I'm like, no, I'm actually helping these people because what I'm able to do is look at what they're doing and say, hey, Jody, look, what you're, what you're doing is good. You can make this decision. You can afford to make this decision because of these things that you have been doing. And then they leave with a confidence and just kind of a okay, like an affirmation of, okay, what I've been doing is good. So I don't have to be fearful. It's, it's fear that's misplaced. And then kind of to address the, the, for those entrepreneurs, if you're leaving the classroom to become an entrepreneur, one of a kind of a, a, a little income hack here is, and it takes a little bit of time to plan for it. But if you know, your income is going to be, is going to fluctuate. Number one, figure out what's a comfortable lifestyle for you. Okay. And then rather than all the revenue that you're making from your side hustle or from your hustle going into your normal operating account, let it go into a savings account and then pay yourself a steady income from your savings account. And just make sure in that savings account that you're you're keeping a comfortable amount, you know, whether it's six to to nine months of, of, you know, of expenses or income in there. So that, that account always has a balance in it. And then you're paying yourself a steady amount from that account. So you can, you can create that, that steady income um, to mimic what you were getting from teaching, but it might take you a little bit longer to build up that account to a comfortable amount to where you can generate that, that steady income. And now you have six months, nine months of a runway of income so that if you do have a slow month, you're cool. 
you're, you're set. You don't have to worry. You don't have that anxiety that comes with not having enough money. You know, you, you, you've dealt with that. And that's a, that's like a really small kind of, you know, when people think financial planning too often, they think of this like huge comprehensive, I got to like plan out every single dollar and every single cent and plan out my entire financial future. But sometimes if you just make like a simple plan for that steady income or a simple plan to pay off debt, that, that's a financial plan. That in of itself is a good step, right? And in terms of like transitioning with brought up debt, I would say that's something that you, you want to try to get, you know, get your hands around before you walk away from a steady income because debt tends to, debt magnifies um, financial problems in ways that, that are not good, particularly for relationships. There's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. So planning for those things makes that transition a lot easier. And again, there's intentionality in it. There, there, it takes time. Sometimes it might take a year or two to plan that exit. That's that's common. You know, I talk. I work with a lot of business owners who are planning on selling their business as part of their retirement. And man, sometimes that's a that's a three to five to seven year plan to to plan that exit. Yeah, I would say my exit. I probably had almost a year to plan just to make sure that we were we were all good. And we made choices during that year to set us up for me to be able to make that exit until I secured my next job, which was also something that I had to plan too, because I wanted to make sure that whatever job that I got, I I was being paid my worth of working in education for uh, more than 13 years and the skills that I was bringing, because this will be another episode we talk about is you, you leave teaching after all these years and your title is teacher. You're not executive vice president teacher, you know, you don't have these titles to go that, that pair well with other industries. So I had to make sure that when I did make my next move, that they were, they were valuing me at what I thought I was, I should be valued at. So th- I think teachers are um, outside. If you, if you consider uh, mother as a profession, I think teaching is the second most difficult profession behind mothering. So every year we've been doing this for five or six years, right around Mother's or on Mother's Day, we do a, a special either video or podcast. Has been a podcast episode. It's called "I Can't Afford My Wife," and this was back before my wife went back to the classroom. At Salary.com, they do a uh, they, they look at all the roles that a mom plays, and like I think I would owe my wife like one hundred and forty seven thousand dollars. You know, chauffeur, you know, counselor, therapist, RN. Um, I think teachers are very equipped to go into a lot of different fields. I mean, y'all have, I mean, you have classroom management. So you're, you're managing the most difficult, depending on what age you, you teach, the most difficult group of people to manage. You have to be a little bit of a, of, a, of a therapist and a counselor and a motivator to be able to get them to do what they want to do. You, you know how to plan. Like I sit there and I'll watch my wife lesson plan. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I need to, I need to, I need to learn from her how to, how to plan. She's such a great planner. And, and she's like looking so, I mean, she's looking forward, you know, nine months and then working backwards. It's great planning. I love that. I mean, so y'all have a lot of skill set that you could walk in, you could probably run, you could run a fortune 500 company. Thank you so much, Eric. And I think this discussion has just been so engaging to me personally. And I hope our listeners agree addressing a lot of topics that we have around the financial fears and guilt of leaving the classroom. I want to wrap it up with just one last question. And that's, um, we have some entrepreneurs who we've spoken with and one of their fears is leaving the benefits 
So I know you talked about having a bigger picture of financial well-being, but what would your advice be? Um, we spoke with one entrepreneur, for example, who um, just decided that their well-being, their personal interest was worth the battle of like letting go of the health insurance, for example, right? So we have these costs that are covered for us as educators, such as health insurance, and then we have money given towards our pension. And I know you and I have spoken before about if you leave teaching and you go into something else, you can still cover those costs, but just wondering what advice you could give to listeners who are maybe really like me, I'm such a planner. So that makes me nervous to not, like not have my my health insurance plan or not know that 10% is going into my pension. So maybe what advice could you give them around that? And, and definitely keeping in mind the big picture of financial well-being. Also. Yeah. So if, if you're leaving the classroom to a job that's going to pay you more, I mean, you, you can recreate all your benefits on your own. Okay. You might, I say on your own, you might need to hire a financial planner, a financial advisor to help you set all that up. But I mean, let's just say, depending on where you are in the country, your health insurance, I mean, that's the thing. A lot of people don't realize, like I get paid X, but the cost really to, to employ someone is X plus, you know, an extra 20% when you, when you look at all the benefits. So benefits are, I mean, they're, they're called benefits for a reason, but you can recreate that. And oftentimes, oftentimes, particularly on the pension side, you can maybe even get a little bit more um, robust in what you do for yourself. Now, if there's a match, you lose the match, but if you're leaving teaching to make 25% more then keep your salary the same. So if part of teaching is just the grind and you're just, you're just tired of, of teaching. So Income-wise, it's a lateral move. Just set your income the same and then just take the, the difference and, and start funding a health insurance plan or funding a retirement plan. Um, and there, I mean, there, I'm not going to get to the specifics and the technical parts of it, but there's a really good chance that you can recreate your benefits and have extra money on the side uh, when you when you go out and you're working in the in the you know in, in a different industry or if you're starting your own company. And look. If you're if you're going off to start your own company, part of the plan may be, hey, you know what? I am not going to fund a retirement account for the next two years because I know that all revenue has to go into building the company. That's okay. Make make that a goal and say, hey, in two years, I'm going to start funding my retirement. Make that decision on the front end so you're not like wrought with guilt, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not funding my retirement. That's okay because you're building something that is going to presumably generate way more revenue and that you'll have time to catch up. But if you make those decisions on the front end, you can certainly, you can certainly recreate um, a lot of those benefits. And how would someone find their total compensation? Would that be something they would ask human resources to help them out? Like, here's my salary, here are benefits. What is my total compensation package? So I can actually fully understand what it is that I'm walking away from. Yeah, I mean HR. I mean, I think that's a good thing. Sit down with HR and bring your bring your um, your pay stub with you, and have have someone HR walk you through your pay stub. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot on that pay stub. You start looking at all those little line deductions, like like taxes, taxes, disability insurance, you know, uh, group life insurance, um, health benefits. Sometimes you're paying a portion, sometimes you're not. Um, sometimes everything shows up on there. Sometimes it, it, it doesn't, but I would certainly sit down with HR and just say, Hey, just kind of walk me through this. I, I think anytime we up our financial literacy, we're going to have more confidence in decisions that we make. And trust me, there is no shame. There's, there's no question that you can ask. That's, that's really a bad question 
particularly when it comes to like W2 and total compensation. It's complicated. It's not easy. It's complicated. I mean, this stuff is complicated. So don't, don't assume that you're the only one who doesn't know it and asking makes you look silly. That's not the case at all. I, I couldn't agree more. I think having the most knowledge you can about your compensation, about financial guidance and planning, that's going to empower you when you're making this transition. And you want to feel confident when you decide, if you decide to transition, that you have all of all of that information. And so planning, long-term planning sounds like a really important part of this discussion. So to learn more about Eric Garcia, visit plan-wisely.com. That's www.plan-wisely.com, where you can find links to Eric's podcast and ebook, Five Pillars of Financial Security, A Guide to Managing Your Money Wisely. Thanks again, Eric, for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you like The Great Teacher Resignation, give us a five-star rating and follow us on Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. This episode was written and recorded by me, Alexandra Simon, and my co-host, Jody Scissors. Produced by Jody Scissors. Original music, Emoji, by Tubebacker. Special thanks to our sponsor, Paper Planes Ed.